Today, Sally's going to take us around the traps. We'll look at some travel dreams. We'll look at some travel opportunities and think about some of the wonderful things we can do locally. And it's time to talk travel on 2NURFM with Sally Lucas. And Sally, well, there are things we can do and things we can't do, and there are some things that make it easier to do what we want to do. <laughs> There's probably a lot more we can't do than we can, but, I mean, we at least we may, may as well take advantage of what we can do. Let's. Because <laughs> um, I don't think the world will ever be like 2019. Again, we're always going to have now, I think, some different restrictions and things as to how we do things and when we travel and how we travel. But um, so at the moment, we know we can't really travel overseas again and you know Alan Joyce was saying July next year which shocked me I thought it might have been sooner than that but look we don't still know that that's not set in concrete either but I guess while there's still outbreaks all around the world the world will never open up and I guess they're waiting on a vaccine because otherwise how do you stop the outbreaks catch 22. Um, One was should I bother getting my passport renewed soon so we just say look it is wise if it's getting towards the end of its time because you do need a minimum of six months on your passport so if the bubble does open up to New Zealand. If you're travelling. Overseas you need a minimum of six months on your passport to get back into the country. Yes. But some countries even won't let you into their country unless they know you've got six months in case you got stuck or got ill. You know what I mean? So always have that six months in mind beyond your return date in, into our country. Um, so when that bubble opens to New Zealand or Fiji and within the Pacific region, at least you know, I've got that passport. I'm ready to go, ready and rocking, <laughs> as we all will be, I'm sure. Um, the theory again about, well, should I really wear a face mask? I mean, that's there's all sorts of people answering that. But, I mean... Brendan Murphy, who of course is is our wonderful medical officer, chief medical officer, has still said that they're optional. But it, you know, if it makes you feel more comfortable, or if you yourself have got a cold or a sniffle, that'll make other people feel comfortable if you're going to wear one. So I think it's a little bit of common sense probably goes along with that. Um, the really funny one I thought we might have mentioned this last week, Jane. I don't know. Do I really need to put my hand up to go to the loo on the plane? <laughs> Well, apparently that's so because they they want to limit queues in the aisles to go to the lavatory. So there you go. So the recommendation is before you go, go before you go, yes. and and limit so limit your intake of liquids. But then you're supposed to drink a lot of liquids to okay. cope with the flight. So balancing act. Okay. I guess on short flights you could definitely limit your liquids, but it's going to be pretty hard on long haul, isn't it? Um, also, um, cruising. When will it resume? Well. As we all know, that could be a long way off. Um, certainly most companies are now saying, you know, they kept pushing it back and pushing it back at, you know, end of September. But then that might still only be within our little Pacific region. And if West Australia opens, of course, which they're still saying no, um, they're going to move to level five restrictions in July. And then that you can get level six, apparently, is, is the most or the least restrictive. And then after that, they'll decide. So we aren't looking at getting to Western Australia by those sort of thoughts till maybe the end of August or September. So Western Australia is closing their borders again, are they? Well, they've just kept them closed to us yeah, anyway. Keeping them closed, yeah, yeah, because mainly of the Indigenous region is, is their main reason. However, within the state, it's fine. They're, they're opening up all their entertainment venues and everything again. So they're, they're like an island within an island. They're, they're just... They want to stay safe and they haven't had a lot of cases and they want to keep it that way. So, you know, the Broom Kimberley, which would be a wonderful thing to do, but hopefully by September we're hoping that 
you know, that, that may happen. So that's just to let you know. But if you're worried about what's happening within the travel industry with refunds and everyone's sort of, I've had even people talking to me and, and I've tried to explain, look, it's very difficult because not all, uh, or very few are giving full refunds. Some of them are giving you credits, but a full credit, like with no cancellation fees, but a credit. So this will vary from company to company. So you need to keep an eye on that. But you can also go onto the ACCC website if you want to just check on what, you know, you can be following up on with regard to a refund or a credit, just to let you know that. Um, so just to let people know who is open or not opening at the moment, we've got South Australia reopening on the 20th of July, Northern Territory on the 17th. Queensland was the 10th, but because of Victoria, that's now questionable. Um, obviously, our borders to Victoria are open, but of course, you'd be crazy to go unless you really had to for compassionate reasons with Melbourne in particular as the metropolis. I mean, that would be a silly thing to do, wouldn't it? And you would hope common sense would prevail there. Um, Tasmania is going to make a decision in early July uh, as to when they open. Western Australia, as I've said, has made no decision as yet, but we're looking at possibly towards you know, August or even September. Norfolk Island said they were going to uh, align with Queensland and do the 10th of July, but I guess if Queensland defers, then they may defer as well. Um, Lord Howe Island is the 3rd of August. Right. So Lord Howe Island is part of New South Wales, yes. but it's still separate as far as going to. Because it's concerned. an island, of course, and because of limited medical facilities, etc. They, they want to make sure that, and they've had no cases there or anything, but they just want to make sure they don't get any. Mm. That's the whole trouble. We're talking travel and, uh, well, we've got some pretty good attractions in our own country, Sally Lucas. We certainly do, Jane, and even in our own state because we need to promote it at the moment. And I didn't realise this. I haven't been up to Byron Bay for quite a number of years. Well, we had a couple of nights there, I think, once on our way to the Sunshine Coast when James was up that way, but that's probably seven years, six, seven years ago now. Anyway, they've got the only solar train in the world at Byron Bay. A solar train? A solar train. Amazing. It's two carriages, um, restored 1949-era heritage train, and it's a three-kilometre coastal track that links the Byron Town Centre with the North Beach Precinct and the Byron Arts Centre. The journey takes 10 minutes one way, or 25 return from North Beach Station. They've got vintage lounge seats in a first-class carriage, and they've also got a second car, or coach class. Um, the train has capacity for 92-seated passengers, additional standing passengers. They've got luggage room for bikes, prams and surfboards as well. Isn't that wonderful to oh, get you around fantastic. Byron? Yeah, yeah, so it's just, I thought, wow, I didn't know that. But having said that, there's still so much to do in and around Byron, and you've got so many options. You've got the most fabulous array of restaurants as far as eating out is concerned. You've got the most beautiful beaches. You've got the most easterly point with the wonderful Cape Byron Lighthouse. Then in the hinterland, I just love it. It's so lush at that northern part of New South Wales. And some of the markets, once you go into that, the Shannon was one that I loved. The, even the Byron markets themselves, the Bangalore markets. Bangalore's a lovely little town in itself with some lovely restaurants as well. And also lovely shops. But the markets are just so genuine. And there's just so much to see in do up there, it really is, and you're so close to other areas, whether you want to go up to Kingscliff or pop down to Lennox Head or Ballina or, you know, it, it's a beautiful Mullumbimby, they've got great markets as well, so, you know, consider a little holiday and head up to Byron, I mean, you've got that beautiful resort up there, Elements of Byron, and they do some fabulous wellness packages, they're not a, like a wellness resort, but they have packages that will include, at your choice, you know, it's not compulsory yogas and, you know, stretching and all sorts of things, massages. and massages. 
massages and yoga classes and then you can you know have bike hire you can go kayaking you know surfing it's just a very pretty part of our state if you've not been there or haven't been for a while just consider it Mm, a little bit warmer than here too, probably. A little bit. Um, now, just while we were saying that some states are reopening, Jane, I thought we really need our tourism council obviously wants us to get out and spend because we're missing our inbound tourism, which is worth a lot of money to Australia, as mm. you can well imagine. And the average inbound passenger spends $5,200 here. And they don't think the average Aussie is prepared to do that. But they want us to see if we can spend as much as we can. If we're not going overseas, you would have saved far. I mean, you would have been spending far more than that on a large overseas holiday. So let's spend it here instead for a year instead of worrying about overseas. Spread the love locally. Spread the love, absolutely. So look, if you're going up into the Northern Territory, there are some fabulous luxury lodge accommodation if you want to really avail yourself of something special. So you've got the Bamaroo Plains on the Mary, uh, the Mary River, and it's a safari lodge located on a 300-kilometre private floodplain uh, property just to the west of Kakadu National Park, um, on the Mary River, of course. So it's about a three-hour drive from Darwin, um, Kakadu's about two and a half, so it's an extra 30 minutes. Or you can fly in if you're really feeling up to the luxury side of things. Um, but then they, the activities, they're focused. They have those airboat trips on the wetlands. They're famous for the wetlands on the Mary River. So you can do something like that. And, of course, you're going to see crocs and bird watching, astronomy evenings, bush drives. There's quad bike safaris, guided walks, all sorts of things you can do there. So that, And fishing safaris too. It's really great, obviously, for fishing for your barra if you're there in the right season. Um, then you've also got, uh, they have a Davidson Arnhem Land Safaris if you want to do a safari, which is a fantastic thing to do. And you go into Mount Borrowdale, which is supposed to have some of the most fantastic rock art that you will see anywhere, even more amazing than what you see in Kakadu. And you've got the Mount Borrowdale Lodge there, which can be accessed by air or again or land. It's a 60-minute flight from Darwin, or if you've gone into Kakadu, it's about 20 minutes from Jabiru, which is where your famous Crocodile Hotel is, of course. Then you've got the beautiful yellow waters at Coindo, and you can stay at Coindo as well and do a wonderful cruise. And the sea, sea eagles and the size of their nests never cease to amaze me up there. And the wildlife you even see just driving into Kakadu. We saw just about every animal that I would have seen if I'd paid for on a safari, you know, from jabaroos to, you know, everything that you could imagine and beautiful bird life. So there's so much. mentioned the crocodiles yet. Well, the crocodiles are there. <laughs> they're, they're, but, but you don't, the only see. thing is, it's a bit scary if you go up at the, in the wet or the end of the wet because there's no banks for them to lie on. So you don't know where they're lurking. <laughs> but if you go up in the dry season, which is now, which is when you can go, you'll see them sunbaking on the riverbank, so at least you know where they are. Yes. <laughs> oh, they're fascinating animals. They need to be seen. Yeah, I know. Really yeah, they are fascinating animals. We're talking travel and Sally Lucas. We know that aeroplanes aren't really flying much at the moment, but no. um, when they do, what's it going to be like? Okay, well, I thought we'd talk about the quality of air mainly to start with, because that's probably going to be something people are worried about. High in our minds. Definitely. And I think also what we should all remember now is to travel light as far as your hand luggage is concerned. I think that's a very important issue that people take a lot of stuff on board. And I don't think that's a good thing from a health point of view either. So, you know, you just limit your hand luggage and have in it, though, what you need in case something ever happens to your luggage in the hold, <laughs> yes. spare pair okay. of undies, toothbrush, etc. But anyway, we're mainly talking about air here. So 
for example, on an Airbus, to give you an idea, this is one um, that we've had. It's it's called HEPA filters is what they have. And the air is fully renewed every two to three minutes. And these HEPA filters remove more than 99.9% of particles, virus and bacteria. It's considered absolute hospital grade air filtration. So this is renewed every two to three minutes. So, you know, this is what people might not realise. So it's shown the World Health Organisation states that research has shown that there is little risk of a communicable disease being transmitted on board an aircraft because of the um, air being so carefully controlled. So, as I said, ventilation provides a total change of air 20 to 30 times per hour. And most modern aircraft have recirculation systems, and it's pa- as it's passed through these filters, as I said, which contraps all these fungi, viruses, bacteria, dust particles, etc. Um, to minimise the risk of passing on infections, though, passengers who are unwell, particularly if they have a fever, should delay their journey until they have recovered. And if you have a known active communicable disease, you should not travel by airline at all. Mm. Um, airlines can deny boarding to passengers who, to, pardon me, who appear to be infected at all, so they can refuse to uplift you. Um, you can sort of, you know, have a read of that if you want to go onto the WHO website. There'll be more information. WHO being WHO, WHO World yes. Health Organization. Yes, the other organization, which is IATA, the International Air Transport Association. It, it of course, is the trade association of the world's airlines, and it, it sets the universal, you know, global standards of making aviation safe, etc. Um, and their position on containment measures are that, again, is the same that the risk of COVID nineteen transmission on board is low due to the aircraft cabin procedures. Um, As I said, virtually, though, you do have limited face-to-face interaction among passengers by the fact that your seats all face forward. So unless you actually turn to talk to somebody, and you you rarely talk over the back of the seat to someone, you've really got to almost get up, haven't you, to see over the seat Mm -hmm. anyway. So the seat backs sort of act as a barrier, in a sense, as well, each way. So, you know, I think if you're just sensible, you don't have to wear masks, as we've mentioned, they're optional, and they will probably be offered to you, I believe, once international air starts happening again. Um, And also the high airflow rate from ceiling to floor apparently also reduces transmission going forward or back. So it actually goes up and down rather than backwards and forwards. So and so there you go. That that sounds really great. So the European Union Aviation Safety Agency, along with the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control, they are also a guiding body on aviation safety within Europe. And they said the main thing is to observe when you're not on the aircraft, or even if you stand up and moving around, to still observe your physical distancing at all times where practicable. Um, to practice scrupulous and frequent hand hygiene throughout your entire journey as well, which I think goes without saying, doesn't it? Um, reassurance is given that the filters the filters air on airplanes are safe and cleaner than many of us breathe on the ground. Yeah, that's a point too. Yeah, so what they're also saying though, which wasn't in this article, one I read last week, that if you are also concerned or even it might be a recommendation that might come as we, we go back into air travel, that you carry your own wipes or disinfectant, which most people will these days anyway. So then if you want to, you can wipe down your screen, you can wipe down your tray, you know, your armrests or whatever, so then you might feel safer if you're, even though they will have come and cleaned the aircraft thoroughly before you've gotten on board, 
you know, if someone next to you might touch or do something, you might just feel that you makes you feel better. If you're, if you're, you're in control. You're, yeah, your you're hygiene. controlling your own little area as best mm. you can anyway. So I think that's about it, Jane. But, you know, things keep happening weekly, as we all know, and border openings and airline takeovers and, mm, oh, yeah. you know, so it's, there's always something to talk about anyway. We, we will talk about any of those <laughs> and more next Friday after the 1 o'clock news on 2NURFM. We're talking travel. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.